Hi, and welcome to Property Legal 101, a weekly podcast where I will discuss, simplify and explain different legal topics in relation to property transactions in England and Wales, so that you can approach your own property projects with more confidence and communicate more effectively with your solicitor. My name is Josh Yam, Associate Partner at Spencer West LLP. And in this episode, I will be exploring and comparing the differences between a freehold and leasehold title. Freehold and leasehold are the two main types of property titles in England and Wales, out of which other more complicated permutations derive from. But I will not be exploring these other forms in this episode to avoid confusing you. Let's first have a look at how these titles interact with each other. On a basic level, a freehold title means an absolute ownership of the property in question, and the land that the property sits on. Let's imagine we are building a title pyramid. The freehold owner, let's call him freeholder A, will be at the top of the pyramid. Below the freehold will be the leasehold title. A leasehold is a right to use the property subject to the terms of the lease for an agreed period of time granted by the freeholder A. Typically, you will find leasehold titles for apartments, where the seller or developer owns the freehold title to the entire building or the wider development in which the apartment sits on. Because leaseholders are below the freehold owner, freehold owners can impose restrictions and conditions via the lease on how the leaseholder used the property, and after completion, the freeholder will become the landlord and the leaseholder the tenant. In general, no such restrictions apply on the freeholder. Let's continue with our analogy. Subject to the terms of the lease, the initial leaseholder, let's call him leaseholder B, may be permitted to grant a lease of their own for the apartment to a third-party buyer, let's call him C. In this scenario, leaseholder B has not sold his title or interest to the apartment. What he has done is added another level below him on our pyramid. So what we have now is freeholder A sitting at the top, and then on the next level down, we have leaseholder B, who must use the apartment in accordance with the lease terms granted to him by freeholder A. And then on the level down after that, we have C. Now, looking at our pyramid, you may think that C, who is right at the bottom, may have exposed themselves to a rather unfair situation where his use of the apartment has been severely restricted by two sets of conditions from two different landlords. However, there are three main reasons why this is not the case. Firstly, residential leases follow a certain template, and whilst there may be certain clauses or wording which are unique and specific to the target property, the majority of the main and most important terms within the lease should follow the current industry standard. Secondly, we need to remember that in our pyramid, leaseholder B also has to comply with the conditions of their own lease with freeholder A. As such, leaseholder B should not be able to introduce any new terms in his lease with C, which will result in his own breach. And finally, C will of course have appointed his own solicitor, who will be working in his best interest and making sure that there is nothing particularly unusual or onerous in the arrangement. If there is, it would be the duty of C's solicitor to report this to him and make sure he is making a fully informed decision as to the possible risks before continuing. If the property you are transacting on does have multiple layers of title, you may find that your solicitor and also the official legal documents will use various different terms to define parties A, B and C. From my point of view as a solicitor, the term that is used for definition is not actually that important 
as long as it is used in a consistent manner. Having said that, there are a few standard ones that you will commonly find, depending on where on the pyramid we are looking from. Let's start from Freeholder A's point of view. The simplest way to define him would be as the Freeholder, as there will only ever be one Freeholder no matter where we are on the pyramid. Looking down the pyramid, Freeholder A may describe Leaseholder B as the head tenant or simply the tenant, and C would be his under-tenant or sub-tenant. From Leaseholder B's point of view, looking up, Freeholder A would either be the freeholder or simply the landlord. Looking down, C would be his tenant. Things get a little bit more complicated when we look from C's point of view, because C of course has two levels above him. The landlord for C would actually be Leaseholder B, because Leaseholder B is immediately above him on the pyramid. And he may call Freeholder A either the head landlord or the superior landlord. If you are confused, try drawing our title pyramid on a piece of paper and I am certain that you will quickly be able to get to grips with this. So now that hopefully you are clearer on the basic layers of ownership, let's explore a bit more about the practical differences between owning a freehold and leasehold. Number 1. Alienation Alienation is a legal term which, strictly speaking, refers to a transfer of ownership of property rights. However, when used in a lease, an alienation clause would normally be a bit wider than that and also covers sublettings, financing and any other dealings with the property in general. With a freehold, there would be no restrictions on your right to deal with your property, except requirements from a lender if you have a mortgage. However, with a leasehold, there will be conditions and maybe also restrictions which needs to be complied with if you wish to sell, sublet or mortgage the property. The rationale of this stems from the fact that whilst you have the right to use the property, the ultimate ownership remains with the landlord, so they would want certain control or at the very least notification on what you are doing with the property. If you are selling, they would want to know that you are selling to good tenants who can and will comply with the lease terms. A lease would typically compel landlords to act reasonably when granting consent to tenants, so there should be no need to worry that a landlord would deliberately sabotage your plans for no good reason. A question I often get asked by my client is what happens to your lease if you sell your leasehold title? Does it end and the buyer get a new lease? Whilst there are specific situations where this may be the case, in general the answer would be no. Let's quickly return to our pyramid. Let's say that a few years down the line, our leaseholder B wishes to sell his interest to a new incoming buyer, D. What happens to our pyramid, and how does this affect those above and below? Once our title pyramid has been built, there will only be specific scenarios where the individual layers will be changed, such as if the lease term expires without renewal, or in the event of a forfeiture of the lease. If there are no specific factors or reasons which require a new lease, then D will simply take over the right to use the apartment from B for the remainder of the lease term. All other conditions and obligations within the existing lease will remain in place. And freeholder A and C's position will be otherwise unchanged, save that, after completion of the sale, D will replace B as their tenant and landlord respectively. Number 2. Alterations. 
As we discussed earlier, a freehold is an absolute ownership of a property. As such, there are generally no restrictions on what a freeholder can or cannot do with his or her land and property. However, having said that, if you are looking to make structural alterations to the property, you may still need to obtain planning permission from the council depending on what exactly you are looking to do. For a leasehold, there will be certain things which a landlord will not permit you to do with the property. Either for safety reasons, for example if you want to knock down a load-bearing wall, or for management reasons. For anything else, they may want to pre-approve any alteration plans you have, or at the very least be notified of what you are doing. Again, a lease will typically require landlords to act reasonably when considering any alteration concern applications. Number 3. Ground Rent If you own a leasehold, there will be two main recurring payments that you'll be required to pay to the landlord each year, ground rent and service charge. As the name suggests, ground rent is a recurring rental payment you make to the landlord for the occupation and use of the land that the property sits on. If you are buying a new lease, ground rent will normally start off relatively low, but there will be mechanisms in place within the lease for periodic review and increase, for example every 25 years from the start of the lease. If you are buying an existing leasehold, part of the buyer solicitor's job will be to find out details about the ground rent as well as recent and future reviews. Certain ground rent provisions have come under scrutiny in recent times, with some mechanisms such as doubling ground rent deemed as unfair. Lenders are also increasingly having more input on what ground rent provisions they will and will not accept. So if you are purchasing a leasehold and have any concerns in this regard, do make sure you speak to your solicitor. Number 4. Repair and Decoration For leaseholds, this topic needs to be split into two parts internal repair and decoration of your department, and external repair and decoration. As the leaseholder, you will be responsible for looking after everything within the apartment. As you may have guessed from the recurring theme so far, the landlord will want to make sure that the property is adequately looked after, and so leases will in general have provisions compelling tenants to keep the property in good condition and redecorate periodically. Leases will also typically include rights for the landlord to enter and inspect the property and either force tenants to remedy and neglect or carry out repair works themselves and then compel the tenant to reimburse them. Whilst the standard wording for these repair and decoration clauses may seem onerous, in practical reality, as long as you look after your apartment properly, you should have no concerns. For external features such as common areas in the building or the wider development, it will be the landlord's responsibility to maintain and look after these areas. The landlord's obligations will also be set out within the lease. However, all leaseholders will be required to contribute and reimburse the landlord for the costs of these external maintenance works via the service charge. Depending on the ownership structure that the landlord has in place, the landlord could also delegate their responsibilities to a management company, either one that's independent or one that's led by the leasehold residents themselves. With a freehold, you will be responsible for maintaining and looking after both the internal and external parts of your property and land. The responsibility for boundary features such as walls may be shared with neighbours, either informally or formally via a party wall agreement. Number 5. Service Charge The second of the recurring annual payments for the leaseholders is the service charge 
which is the reimbursement payment to the landlord for their costs for the maintenance of the common areas and external parts of the building or the wider estate. Service charge will vary each year depending on what works have been carried out and the exact costs which have been incurred. Typically, the service charge mechanism is that tenants would be required to pay service charge to the landlord in advance at the start of each year based on an estimated figure. During the year, the landlord will be required to keep proper accounts of all costs they have incurred and at the end of the financial year, the landlord will produce a final service charge account typically certified by an independent auditor and tenants will be provided with a copy of this final account. If there is an excess from the estimated service charge collected, the excess will go towards the next service charge payment for the next year. And if there is a shortfall, then tenants will be required to settle this on demand. When buying a leasehold property, it will be the job of the buyer solicitor to find out details about what the service charge payment was for the last few years, what the current service charge is expected to be, and whether any major works are anticipated which would cause an increase in future service charge payments. Number 6. Lease Term To recap, a leasehold is a right to use a property subject to the terms of the lease for a specific period of time granted by the freeholder or landlord. Effectively, therefore, the value of a leasehold diminishes through time as a lease term naturally runs down. Leaseholders need to be careful because if they let their lease term run down too much, they may find that they end up with a lease that is hard to sell or one that lenders will not lend to. If you are purchasing a new lease right now, the lease term will typically either be for 125 years or 999 years. In general, leaseholders should make sure that their lease term does not fall below 85 years, which is the point when this becomes an issue to lenders and buyers. If you are looking to buy a leasehold where the remaining lease term is below 85 years, then I am sure your solicitor would have already advised you accordingly, and you should definitely be raising the issue of extending the lease to the seller as part of the purchase. Number 7. Insurance With a freehold, it would be your responsibility to purchase any insurance related to your property. If you have a mortgage, it would be a mandatory requirement that you have adequate building insurance in place. Whilst lenders normally require this to be in place on or before completion, I normally advise my clients when purchasing a freehold to have this in place on exchange of contract. The reason for this is that on exchange of contract, both the buyer and seller becomes legally bound to complete the transaction, and the risk passes to the buyer. If anything should happen to the property between exchange and completion, the buyer will not be able to rely on the seller's insurance. On a leasehold, building insurance will generally be the responsibility of the landlords to obtain and maintain. However, this will not cover content insurance, which you will need to purchase yourself. Number 8. Breach of lease terms An important point to discuss in relation to leaseholds is what happens when there is a breach. This is a serious and complicated topic and is one which could merit a whole episode on its own. Generally speaking, Minor breaches of the lease, which can be easily rectified, should not be an issue, as long as the breach is remedied swiftly upon discovery. If the breach is a material one, however, then this may give rise to a right by the landlord to take steps to forfeit your lease. When it comes to the definition of material, case law has retained a level of flexibility in its interpretation. But, in general, any breaches which are serious in nature and not easily remedied could be considered material. 
Forfeiture of lease is a complex legal topic, and whilst there is a strict legal procedure which needs to be followed for landlords that wish to repossess or forfeit a lease, the point here is that leaseholders should make sure they understand and comply with their obligations. If there are any doubts or concerns, speak immediately with your solicitor. That brings to a close this week's episode. Hopefully you will have found the content useful. Next week, I'll be looking at and explaining the content within the Land Registry Title Register, which is the official property ownership certificate for property owners in England and Wales. As always, if you have any questions on what we've talked about this week, or if you have any topics you would like me to address in a future episode, feel free to email me at propertylegal101 at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Keep safe and see you next week.